is a common um, thought that it's too late once we're already in the nursing home, but actually it's not too late. So yes, we can do trust planning. Yes, we can implement other strategies. The good news is that, um, because as I mentioned earlier, Pennsylvania is so fair with spouses, we probably don't need to do a trust in a spousal situation where one spouse is in, needs care and one doesn't. Now, if both spouses are sick or one's not much worse than the other, like that does change things up a little bit. But if it's very clear that one spouse needs care, one doesn't, we won't even need to use a trust most likely, which is the good news. Um, not that trusts are bad, they're wonderful. But in a single person that's in a nursing home, we can use a trust still. And we, we do it all the time, all the time. We still can protect assets and use that trust. But I actually think, and Kyle, I love that you asked that question, because I, I think this kind of segues into something else really, really important that we need to talk about today and it's powers of attorney. So I'm going to kind of give some scenarios oh. and I'm going to like turn it over to Landon. Um, but, you know, so we've talked about, yes, you can protect assets, even if you're already, you already need care, but I have to tell you, we are stuck. If you are coming to us and your mother, your father, your spouse doesn't have capacity and they do not have a power of attorney or their power of attorney is not good enough. We are stuck. We get, we're really limited on what we do and Landon will kind of expand on what the options are. So the best thing that everybody can do is make sure that their power of attorney is good enough. So if you went to um, your general practitioner to get your, your power of attorney done or your real estate attorney or divorce attorney, it's not good enough. I'm gonna tell you that without even looking at it. If it was done a couple years ago, it's not good enough. I'm going to tell you that without even looking at it. There's certain provisions that need to be in there. Without those provisions, we cannot do proper planning. Even if we're talking about assets that you own with your spouse. Let me give you an example. Your house. So husband and wife own a house. Let's say husband needs nursing home care. We have to get his name off of that house because while it's not available during his life for his care, after he passes away, the state of Pennsylvania is gonna come back and claim on his house. Well, we don't want that to happen. So we can easily remedy this by taking the husband's name off the deed. But if he doesn't have a power of attorney or his power of attorney doesn't allow unlimited gifts, we cannot remove his name from that property even though he owns it with his wife, even though his wife owns half of it, we can't remove his name, which means we can't protect the property. That goes for any assets, whether they're jointly held or just by that individual. So we get kind of in a bind. So that's why I say, if anything you learn today, it's that we have to have good, good legal documents in place. And with that, I'm gonna kind of fling it back over to Landon to go more in depth about those powers of attorney and why they're so important. Powers of attorney are the most basic and important tool in your estate planning toolkit. Um, generally, what they are, if you're not if you're not familiar, which if you've seen us talk, I'm sure you've heard it, but a power of attorney is a document in which you name another person known as the agent. This can be a spouse, child, friend, whoever. Um, really, it's completely up to you. But this is the person that would be able to step into your shoes and make decisions for you if you're not able. And um, and you know, there's a common misconception that, oh, well, I'm married, so I don't need that because my wife can take care of everything. Um, that might be 
true with most things in life. I'm sure she probably does if, you, if you're thinking that. But when it comes to actually working with your assets, you know, if in that situation that Kristen talked about where somebody needs nursing home care, and we've got to get a name off that deed. The laws does not presume that your spouse can do those things automatically for you. You do have to have a document in place. Um, same thing with healthcare decisions. Your doctor, and I'm sure all of you have probably had a doctor ask you if you have a healthcare power of attorney or an advanced healthcare directive. Those words are synonymous mostly. That's what they're asking for is your doctor wants to know that if you're in an accident and you get drug in there unconscious, who can they talk to? This is These are things that you have the power to put in writing now. Um, and it's very important that you do. But what I'm going to talk about mostly, yeah, on the healthcare side of things, you should do it. Uh, you have my strongest recommendation that you have a healthcare power of attorney in place. Now, with the financial power of attorney, or you see them called financial, general, durable powers of attorney, that's the one that's most important to make sure that it's not only done, but it's done right. Because a lot of times, if an attorney's office does not specialize in this particular area, or has put a lot of time and expertise into crafting it, how they do it, then the uh, Commonwealth of Pennsylvania in statute has a pretty much form, a, pretty, a copy and paste, here's list of things that generic powers, that that's probably what you're going to get. And it misses, in, in, not included in that, in that document is the power to make unlimited gifts or the power to make an irrevocable trust. So if you were to be become incapacitated uh, for whatever reason, and your spouse is working with me and Kristen to try to come up with a plan, our hands are going to be tied on trusts and gifting. And even if it says the word gifts, the power to give gifts, that sounds general. And under most circumstances, you'd be right. But unfortunately, the law doesn't work that way sometimes. So, you know, what's logical may not still be what's what's the legal application. And that's that's for Harrisburg to deal with. But um, what they've determined is that if it just says gifts, the power to give gifts, that number is assumed to be limited to just a maximum of $15,000 a year, which is a lot of cash. But if we're talking getting your name off of real estate, um, I assume that all of your houses are worth more than that. So the idea of just gifting 50% of your house to your spouse is a gift equal to half of the entire value of the home. So it's important that you have that because as Kristen said, if a spouse goes into a nursing home and to Kyle's question, yes, we are able to still protect things using all those, all the tools that we discussed already. But if you don't have good powers of attorney, one, an incapacitated person cannot sign legal documents. They can't sign new ones if they're not able to. So that's one. But then two, if they're not in there, then your existing power of attorney can't allow you to work with me and Kristen to, to, to utilize all the tools we have available to us. And to do that, and here's the biggest, you know, the, the only alternative. So to the question of what happens if my power of attorney is not good enough and, you know, we need to do this planning or board forbid, even though I've listened to you, Landon, and I don't have any powers of attorney at all. First of all, don't, don't do that. But second of all, you know, there is an alternative at law and it's what's known as, as a guardianship. And so that is a process. Uh, it's a court process under which a court formally and publicly in, in public record declares a person to be incapacitated and appoints a guardian to be able to act on their behalf. Um, 
So if you don't have a power of attorney and somebody becomes incapacitated, the only real option you have is a guardianship. And that involves taking that person to court formally and having them a public declaration of incapacity, which beyond being public also does take a considerable amount of rights from them. It pretty much, uh, it allows the guardian to control their ability to contract, make healthcare decisions. All of that is given to the guardian and this is something that happened through the court. So beyond the trouble and the extreme, the, the extremities of having a person declared incapacitated and taking a loved one to court, we're also talking a much more timely and expensive process there. So, you know, for anyone who's thought about abetting your powers of attorney and thought, well, I don't want to pay that right now. I'll tell you right now that the process of going to a guardianship, whether it's me or anyone else, um, it's going to be significantly more, I'm going to say three to five times more expensive to go to a guardianship than it would be to update your powers of attorney. I mean, that's because court processes take time, um, both from the court, both from the attorney, from you, everyone involved. And overall, you're looking to a three to five month process. So if we're talking about a person that's already in a nursing home and in declining health as it is, three to five months can be a very long time. And in, um, from health wise, especially, but in financial terms, if a person's in a nursing home, you're paying $11,000 a month and it takes us four months to get a guardianship, that's $44,000. Um, and so, no matter what you know, your, your concerns you may have about the cost of, of getting things updated, um, nothing compares to that. So that's um, powers of attorney are the most important because they are the groundwork on which all of it is built from there. Step one, even if you're young and in great health and have no concerns about long-term care in the next five, heck, even 20 years, these are still good to have because you never know what's going to happen. And hopefully you have someone that you can trust to be able to step in there if, if you need it.